The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for April 21st, 2021, 42121. It's your boy, Justin Robert Young, uh, joining you yet again from Austin, Texas. Very mild weather out here in uh, the central Texas spring. You know, 66 degrees. Can't complain about it. I got plenty I can complain about on this show, uh, uh, up to and including something I'm going to get to in a second with the vaccine. You guys know I've been on fire about this, and now I got something else to complain about. Uh, We've got actually an explainer, an explainer on salt. A lot of y'all might have been seeing salt, salt repeal, salt caps. And you might look at it and say, I don't even know what the hell y'all are talking about. I have no uh, frame of reference for why this matters. I'm going to tell you why it matters. I'm going to tell you why it's a headache for Joe Biden and why it's one of those issues that has fascinating political fault lines. We also have an update on the reformation and reclamation of parlor are we seeing what happens when the canceled are allowed back into the walled garden and a visit from one of our favorites kevin ryan my co-creator on feature story he was the original talent for feature story his story was what uh, was produced that story on feature story was about jordan peterson Jordan Peterson's got a new book out and Kevin Ryan read it and wrote a uh, a great review of it. So uh, we're going to talk to him about that. And then, of course, because it's Kevin, we're going to get into all things cosmic and microscopic. I know we're a day after 420, but I'm sure it's going to be a, a great listen for any practitioners. Before we get to that, though, I I, I got, oh my God, I, I can't even begin to tell you how frustrated I remain with this Johnson & Johnson pause. Not only are we still doing this, despite the fact that vaccine uh, rates are declining across the country, now all Americans are available and yet we are vaccinating less. So we are hitting the vaccine wall. We have less capacity because we paused the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. But this is the final indignity. The final indignity. Because I came on this podcast and I smashed Europe for pausing the AstraZeneca vaccine on a a tiny sliver 
of data. And then we went and did it ourselves here in America. But this is the final. This is, I don't know a shame for which we can sink lower. The news. The European Medicines Agency said Tuesday that while they do understand there is some kind of link between the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and extraordinarily rare blood clots, the benefit outweighs the risk. And the Johnson & Johnson vaccines will indeed be administered in the EU. The EU went faster than us. The EU famously, he said sarcastically, risk-taking, nimble European Union went faster than us in dealing with the American Johnson and Johnson vaccine. But don't worry, friends. Don't worry, because the CDC has scheduled a meeting in three days to deal with this. What on earth are we waiting for? Honestly, when the EU precautionary principle EU can't decide anything unless a bunch of other governments decide a thing and then they go to the, they hold a meeting to hold a meeting to hold a meeting bureaucratic to a level at which you would need a a, a, a degree in, in physics to understand. It is so dense. Every frame. They went faster. What what are we doing? What are we doing? Already, we've seen polls that show that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is looked at as unsafe. Do we not realize that every day that we move past this, if we don't have any more information, then we just got to make a call on this. Either we believe that one in a million blood clots are something that we want to stop this vaccine being administered for, or we put some kind of restriction on it, or we just let it go back. Like, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say at this point. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I think it remains a deadly decision. I'm going to calm down. But first. As for the president's sweeping infrastructure plan, Swazi says no salt, no deal. This is bad for New York. A cap on the state and local tax deduction is a body blow to New Yorkers. We need to get it back. It's existential for us. An existential crisis for New York. That's what salt is. Salt is state and local tax deductions. So let's start with a a, a definition here. According to the Tax Foundation, state and local tax deductions permits taxpayers who itemize when filing federal taxes to deduct certain taxes paid to state and local governments. So it kind of breaks down like this. If you live in a state with high state taxes, then when you pay those taxes, you can deduct that against what you pay the federal government. 
So it doesn't really mean a lot for most people. Because even in high state taxes, most average people pay hundreds, maybe a thousand plus to the federal government. And granted, being able to deduct a hundred or a couple hundred or or a thousand off your uh, uh, federal income taxes is pretty good. You know, if, if you don't already have your taxes withheld, a lot of people have their taxes withheld. So this doesn't even apply to them. But let's say you're not just paying hundreds or a thousand or a couple thousand to your state government. Let's say you're paying tens of thousands. Let's say you're paying hundreds of thousands, maybe a million or more. Well, if that's the case, then being able to itemize and deduct those taxes off your federal bill, well, that's something that you really want to take a look at. So what are we fighting over? Well, as part of the Trump tax cuts in 2017, a $10,000 cap was put on SALT deductions. And here's where we're going to get into some quizzical waters. Because we all have these like truisms about either party. And the Republicans are the rich people party. And the rich people party, what they do is they get their their people in charge in Washington, D.C. And then they make sure that rich people pay as, as small amount to taxes as they possibly can, right? That's what we all know. So then why did a Republican president with a Republican House and a Republican Senate put a cap on the amount that rich people were able to deduct from their federal tax payments? You would think that that would be totally antithetical to the way that we understand the Republican Party. Well, it's because of where those rich people lived. Because remember, SALT deductions really matter in high-taxed states. States like California, New York, and New Jersey. And guess where the GOP in general doesn't give a hoot? California, New York, and New Jersey. Which means that SALT caps and and the repeal of the SALT cap has some very strange political bedfellows. Because what you heard at the beginning of this segment was a representative from the new SALT caucus. This is led by Democrats because there are more Democrats in these states than there are Republicans, but technically it's bipartisan. They want to repeal the SALT caps because their citizens in those states benefit the most from them. So who doesn't want to repeal SALT caps? Progressives and the Biden White House. Which means that they are teaming up to save a part of a Trump tax bill. How funny is that? AOC and Joe Biden rallying to save a 
piece of Trump's legacy. The progressives don't want salt to go away because they view it as a massive giveaway to the rich, which by the numbers, it, it pretty much is. It's not to say that it doesn't have middle-class effects and that gets into how we describe middle-class. There are certain places uh, where making you know, six figures into, you know, maybe even, you know, the three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar range is not exactly wealthy. There's some places where that is extremely wealthy. And then also that factors into how much you're taxed. So for example, if you own property in Long Island or certain parts of New Jersey or in California, making six figures is kind of the bare minimum that you have to have to get into that game. But the progressives say, hey, look, by the numbers, the people that are really going to benefit from this are mega rich people. People that, again, are paying hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars in state taxes. And they are going to apply that as a deduction far more than $10,000. They're going to apply all hundred thousand, all millions against everything they can against their federal taxes. And they're not going to pay that in federal taxes, which means that the federal government has less money to work with. And if you are doing this from the progressive point of view, that means that existentially, literally the rich are getting richer. And if part of your policy prescription is you don't want that to happen, well, then you don't want that to happen. The Biden White House, meanwhile, is looking at the fact that this is the moment where they're doing big bills. They just did a multi-trillion dollar or nearly multi-trillion dollar bill for COVID relief that included a lot more than just COVID relief. They're now looking to do something that could be twice that big for infrastructure that's going to include a lot of things that aren't bridges and tunnels. So the Biden administration doesn't want to start talking about how they're not going to be getting money in. They need to be talking about how they're generating money so they can, you know, spend possibly $4 trillion on the wish list for what they want to do by not only doing actual infrastructure, but also calling everything else infrastructure. You know, uh, uh, Home care for uh, young children is infrastructure and tuba lessons are infrastructure. And me finally seeing Rage Against the Machine when they actually play the Oracle Arena in 2022 after being delayed not once but twice is infrastructure. At least it is for me. But still, there's a lot of pressure to knock that salt cap off from state governments. State governments like New York and California, which are hemorrhaging the very rich people that they're going to need to rebuild their decimated budgets that happened through COVID. Cuomo in New York, Newsom in California need money to rebuild their infrastructure, their, their, their state governments, and they already tax at the highest rates in the nation. Salt is a key part of them being able to entice rich people to stay. 
That way the state gets their money. It's the federal government that doesn't get paid. So, what's going to happen? And why do you care? Because, you know, aside from a few people that are listening to me right now, you're really not going to be affected by these salt caps, or at least you, you are going to be able to do the deductions that you already could have done with $10,000. So the, 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 the $10,000 salt cap really doesn't matter for you. It does matter for the fault lines of politics, however. I've warned you guys for weeks that with those small majorities in both the House and the Senate, it was only a matter of time until other politicians realized that they too could be Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. Nancy Pelosi only has a six-seat majority to work with in the House. It's a 50-50 Senate. You don't need a lot to rock the boat. And that SALT caucus now has 30 representatives. And while technically the only thing that they have threatened is that they will not sign, they will not vote for any tax legislation that does not repeal the cap. Some have already gone on the record saying, no, no, no. Infrastructure is probably the biggest thing that we are going to do with tax law because the Biden administration wants to raise the corporate tax rate. So while we're talking taxes, you do not get my vote unless we repeal SALT. And by and large, this is a problem within the Democratic Party. It could very well crash and burn this infrastructure bill before it even has to face the wrath of whatever the minority Republican Party can muster which would be salt in the wounds or Joe Biden. Parlor, the free speech social media app that was not only removed off Amazon's servers, but also delisted from the Google and Apple stores, is now reportedly back or will be let back on Apple's App Store. This, to me, is notable in that if you're following some of this digital space and you're, and you're kind of wondering, all right, so how much coordination is too much coordination from Apple, Amazon, and Google? It was kind of weird that, that Parler took the blame for the January 6th storming of the Capitol when clearly more planning and information dissemination was done on YouTube and Facebook. Facebook wasn't delisted from Amazon servers. It's not like Google banned itself. You know, if, if the platform is the problem. Apple officially said that they were kicking Parler off because they did not have appropriate hate speech moderation. Parler has since fired their CEO. They got relisted uh, or they got rehosted rather on the Epic servers. 
And now they're going to be back on the App Store after proving to Apple that they had appropriate hate speech moderation. I wonder if that means they wind up going back to Amazon S3 servers. And more specifically, if post-Trump, we are going to see some of these banned entities slowly filter back into the places where they were once banned. And, and here's why I wonder that. Because I, while I don't think that Joe Biden's White House is going to do any kind of actual monopolistic crackdown on Silicon Valley, uh, I, I, there, there's, look, when, when Obama left the White House, everybody just kind of went to jobs in the private sector. And a lot of those jobs were in Silicon Valley. And now they're just kind of all back to work with the Biden White House. I, I simply don't see it happening. But whether or not it happens now, I do think that there is an existential question for the power players in the tech elite that maybe they need to be looking at their decision-making specifically when it regards politics as something that they understand is precedent setting and banishing a social media platform is especially as quickly and as coordinated as they did it is something that I wonder if they understood just quite simply wasn't a great look. Now, granted, Parler did take steps. They fired their CEO. There is uh, certainly signs that Parler wasn't a particularly well put together app at the point that it was banned. But there's a lot of sloppy stuff that's on the app store. I don't know. I just found it curious. You asked for it. You begged for it. You agreed with me. You have said that we are selling our vaccination efforts in the absolute wrong way. We can't be asking people to go get vaccinated and and then also read them the fine print first, but also social distance, but also don't hang out in a massive crowd, but also don't go to a concert. No. If we're going to sell our vaccination efforts, and now that the CDC is actively playing defense against us, we need to take this even more seriously. We need to sell America not on the restrictions, but on the freedoms. We need to sell them on the fact that this is paradise refound, that we will be back to what we love, that we will be back to having fun, that we will be back to hanging with our families and we will be back to partying with our friends. And when we define freedom, 
We do not define freedom by the thing we can readily grab. No, 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 no. We define freedom by what is at the edge of it. And what is at the edge of freedom but hedonism? What is the greatest sign of I don't give a hoot about germophobia when it comes to hedonism? Friends, COVID shots equals body shots. The t-shirt is available now. Politicalmerch.com. Go find it. I only made it in, in, in two colors, black and white. You can get it in the t-shirt or if you're like me. And 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 these 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 little these little guns of mine have been have been in in sleeves inside indoors for too long. You gotta tan these little chicken wings. We got the tank top option as well. Just head down right below the t-shirt. You're gonna see the tank top option. We also got masks and stickers. It's all there for you. COVID shots equals body shots. By far, this has been the most popular shirt that we have sold on the site. I'm very thrilled that you guys are happy about it because I was very happy to put it together. COVID shots equals body shots available right now. Politicsmerch.com. Our guest today is no stranger on the show. He's a writer for The Blaze and co-creator of the Dog and Pony Show podcast feature story. His first feature story, our first feature story, the first feature story was written and narrated by Kevin as he followed Jordan Peterson on tour in support of his book, 12 Rules for Life. Well, Peterson now has a new book out, Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, Kevin reviewed it, wrote a great article about it, and I just always use it as an excuse to talk to Kevin because whenever he writes something, I get to talk to him. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Good to be here, man. All right. I don't even know where to start because uh, <laughs> when <laughs> when we're doing this is right when the Chauvin trial verdict came in. About so 20 minutes we can, ago. About 20 minutes ago. So we can we can talk about that, but but when we will. Well, no, you want to know what? Let's get that out of the way first, because that's going to be what we're going to wind up coming back to anyway. Uh, what did you expect? Did uh, And for those of you who are hearing about this for the first time, all three charges for Derek Chauvin, the police officer who was famously putting his knee on the back of the neck of George Floyd to the point where he died, erupting protests around the country last summer, uh, guilty on all three charges, two second degree and a third degree charge of murder in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, what was your expectation going into this? So I'm not a lawyer is the first thing let, I would let, say. Let us, let us all say that if you've ever heard <laughs> Kevin and I talk, it should be obvious. But if we have new listeners, either of us have an Esquire at the end of our name. Exactly. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. I figured the the manslaughter would, would uh, happen. But the, what was it? Second degree murder was the third one. Is that right? 
two second degrees and a third degree. If I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm reading this correctly. Yeah. I mean, we all saw the video. It, it was complicated. I, I, I watched about a quarter of that trial. Um, it was, it was interesting. I, I honestly, this morning, I, uh, or when the, when the news broke that they were going to read the verdict, I, uh, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what they were going to say. Yeah. What was uh, your let, take? Let me, let, let, let me actually clear this up. It was one charge of second degree, unintentional murder, third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. Okay. Uh, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. Here's all I know. Cops are very hard to convict. Like mm-hmm. just in general. It's very difficult to convict a cop because part of a cop's job involves leeway to have lethal force. So if you screw up and you kill somebody, that is hard to convict just in in a, in, in, in a court of law. I also know that there's a lot of pressure on the people who are putting uh, putting these cases together and deciding what charges they're going to bring against the cops that involve them maybe overcharging. And so mm-hmm. when you combine those two things, I think what we have seen historically is a lot of very angry and disappointed people. And I think part of it is because we have those dueling uh, motivators that like the, the nobody wants to undercharge because that feels like a disrespect to the crime and cops are very hard to convict. So I was worried that this was uh, uh, something that was overcharged again with no lawyerly or scholarly knowledge of it. Uh, uh, just because I just assumed that was going to be the case. And I was delighted that it, it, it did not because in my opinion, when you are a part of a crime so heinous that Rush Limbaugh has to go on the breakfast club, you need to serve time. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that is something that cuts through our society on such a level that the breakfast club and Rush Limbaugh had to do a very special episode together. You gotta go. Uh, you just like, there's no way for any of us to remove the, the images, that video, that's like the sounds of it all. Like the, the look on Chauvin's face, like, there was just no way to remove that from our collective uh, consciousness. Yeah, um, and and yeah, and it just—it's so weird how it's become a culture war thing. And and uh, yeah, I don't like you know, that at all. And then and obviously it, it folds into the protests, which becomes the riots, which makes you have to draw this line of like, okay, well, where is the line, both explicitly and then implicitly like how much of like do you care about the riots versus you know how much are you uh, uh, defining the necessity of of the protest which is just like god i mean talk about in in a year of nobody wins oh yeah we just piled more nobody wins toppings <laughs> over over this poop sunday so so i've been reading a lot of critical race theory lately and, uh, you know, it's based in legal theory, uh, critical legal theory. D- and one divine, of, divine, divine critical race theory for folks who, who might not be up on it. So critical race theory is uh, basically it's applying the idea that 
politics are irremovable from most aspects of life, maybe all aspects of life. Uh, and the racial, racial politics, especially, and that, um, it like this, this is where we get the idea of systemic racism and like, uh, it's kind of a rebuke of the, even the liberal person, I would say it's hardest on the liberal perspective of like accepting colorblindness and, um, different, uh, different approaches to, uh, race in America. Yeah. Which and, just and, like, and, and I and I should know because I'm sure somebody is is yelling into their phone. This is very controversial. This is this yes. is not something that is universally accepted. No, and not at all. And 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 it's it's very difficult. If I'm stammering, it's because it's like such a difficult thing to characterize. And as a theory, that one of the first conditions is everything is political, or um, or at least I here's the question I was going to ask. Do you, uh -huh. do you think the institution of uh, do you think that the law should be completely apol apolitical in the judicious sense, not in its attachment to the Constitution? I do. I think we should yeah. have the simplest operating system possible because we as humans will always complicate it. Mm -hmm. The more that we build in things to the core OS the more it's going to be hard to untangle as our complications change and grow. And, and we, we have new needs and certain communities change, you know, like in, in the lifetime of my family, they went from being scorned to being kind of a, a, a non issue, at least in terms of where my family came from. So it's like, uh, that's a, a sign where it's like, okay, well, if we built things in, back then to the core of our legal system, then would that have created more power as things changed? Would it would have created an imbalance? I don't know. I mean, uh, I generally have a great tis, uh, distrust for authority figures, so I, I yeah. really don't like giving authority figures any more power than they absolutely needed. That's about where I am as well. And it's, it's this... I think even deeper than that is this conflict I feel that I think a lot of people are feeling. And this is, I would say, a great transition into uh, uh, Peterson is that like, you know, most of my values are liberal values, you know, and, that, and that's like that was my identity. That was my identity, my tribe for so long. And um, I just there's this contingent in on the left that is sort of taken over those liberal values and like shoved a lot of us into this like weird territory in the middle. Um, so it's funny. And, I, and this connects to the Peterson story. Cause like every time I put out a, a story, I get inevitably, I get an email of people saying like, Hey, what are you? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't understand. I can't, they all usually ask for like my politi political stance, my political beliefs, like, w you know, why are you talking about Gandhi and, um, you know, critical theory on the blaze? Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, it, it's 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 hard. You know, I did a thing on the podcast last week about bias and and mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, a site like the blaze doesn't necessarily even call itself a conservative site. It is just 
a conservative site. It is known to be it. Like it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's definition, its cosmic essence is that. Same with, you know, Rachel Maddow doesn't say, I bring you the liberal news. Yeah. She, but it is, right? We just know it. Like that is what it is. And I think that when when you get outside of this very monochromatic idea, it becomes very difficult because that's where this entire landscape has been programmed for is that they look at somebody like you and you're like, Hey, uh, I love writing at the blaze because they let me do whatever the hell I want and they won't unpublish things. And I'm not going to get into a fight because I, I, you know, uh, uh, screwed up in a private conversation on Slack. And now all of a sudden I'm canceled on Twitter like that. You're, you're, you're able to do what you want to do. And that's why you like the blaze, not necessarily because, you are plugged in to that cosmic essence. And that is a, a dissonance for people that like, sometimes they have a hard time reconciling. And it's the same thing that I have here. And, and so what I came to the, the, uh, the, the result of was like, all right, well, my bias is going to be toward accuracy. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to be right. I want to make bets about what's going to happen in politics. And I want to, I want it to be right. I want it to be so right that you go and tell your friends without crediting me, my opinions. And so when I'm right, they think you're smart. Like that's what I want. I've done that. I've literally done that by the way. Good, good. I've just joined your opinions (laughs) and repeated them at parties and everybody clapped because they were so good. <laughs> that's it. Everybody stood up and clapped and 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 chanted your name. Uh, th- but that's what I that, that, that's what I want. And I think that for what you do, you're literally, and, and I think you're from a school. And this kind of gets back to the the our shared love for feature writing, mm-hmm. is like wondering where the author's perspective is is the fun. <laughs> like you you Definitely. kind of like that's kind Why of is the that point. Old school. It is weird. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just there there was I don't know how we've gotten more choice. And so with that, I think that like to even find content, it needs to have a big label on it. So we we feel comfortable picking it off the shelves. And so what you're from the from the era of is like a lot of just like, you know, mason jars with an X on the front <laughs> and you were going to take it and you're like, oh, wow, this was pretty cool. I'm glad I got this uh, this journey that unfolded before me. But that's that's hard, I guess, in a world of infinite content where, you know, people are are hesitant to grab anything that they don't know what it's going to be. I really enjoy that challenge. Like and I that's. That is essentially the challenge that I walked into with the Peterson thing. It's why it took me so long because it's like, okay, you know, I want to stay true to my values, but I also want to get given accurate. I feel like this, most book reviews don't, uh, give him any honest consideration, consideration. Like if, if it's a left leaning review, they're just going to try and humiliate him. And if it's a review in conservative media, they're just going to celebrate the fact that he has some conservative principles and, and, you know, hail him as a hero. Like we finally got an academic. Um, so it was, there was an element of that. Um, yeah, I forget where I was going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I think that that's it's also 420. 
It is 420. <laughs> uh, uh, there is a, 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 a genuine fascination, I think, that you have with Peterson yeah. in terms of defining where he is. And I really came into following Peterson from you, from, from working on the Feature Story podcast. And I can understand why. Because when you get really close to Peterson, and not every random thing he says, but literally just the stuff he's telling you to read, it's kind of uncontroversial. Very. Like well it's, said. It's sort of just like, you could even call it boring or yeah. like old fashioned or like, it, it just kind of feels like you're like your, your, your grandpa's friend who like is, he's just got this kind of old school advice and he certainly has an academic bent and he's going to cite Carl Jung and, and he's going to do the trappings of what we understand to be a smart person. But what's fascinating is, is that like when you pull back just like 10 feet, oh my God, is it just this riot of information and, and controversy and anger and Peterson feeds into it. And Ta-Nehisi yeah. Coates is calling him red skull, literal <laughs> thing. Like, uh, uh, it's not a metaphor. It's Ta-Nehisi Coates called like compared him to red skull in, in this captain America comic. He just wrote like, when that happened, it's bizarre. Yeah. No, that specifically when that happened, I was like, Oh, I got, I, this, I have to get this out. <laughs> like I have to get this out. Cause I had been going back and forth and, and I went through a ton of different drafts and with regard to what you were just saying, you know, my wife is a counselor. So a lot of times when I was kind of going like, what is Peterson actually saying here? Is he trying to be controversial? And I would t walk through what he had said and she, and she would be like, Oh, you know, uh, for instance, I would be like, He's what well, he's saying that you can progress through contraries. Like, is is there a, a psychological basis to that? And she's like, yeah, you know, that's uh, what is it? DBT, uh, dialectical behavior therapy. And yeah, you know, sh she could put a name on all of these different things that he was doing. So in that sense, he's he's like very clinical, and he, he's not saying anything that you can't find in a, a, a textbook for counselors. And I guess that's the thing is like, he's not Gavin McInnes. He's not no. Steven Crowder. Like he's not no. a polemicist. Uh, and no. certainly either of those other two guys are academics, but like he's, he's not out there at least in the stuff that he's like, pay attention to this, uh, uh, trying to start fights. Now he tries to start plenty of fights after that, like, like in, oh, yeah. in, 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 in the melee that ensues, but I, and he benefits. I, I, oh, he, that's I the mean, only that, reason why he's selling. I mean, he's got those book deals, right? Yeah. It's the, I mean, it's the only, and this is something that, you know, I left out of the original profile, but it was a conversation I had with him about fame, the fame, um, controversy ratio that he explained and you know he, he did it in such a peterson way but i think that because you know i i wonder like for him why does he keep doing the interviews like yeah. if they're if they're really this like stressful experience which i have no doubt they are then you know why does he why does he keep doing them um i don't know man it's well i mean I think, just, I think it's because totally he does understand at this point, 
it's probably a fairly rote thing. He knows who's going to attack him. He knows <laughs> how to defend himself. It all kind of comes back to this. You're an activist, not a journalist. You know, why don't you just do your regular job instead of uh, uh, getting your other point across? And, you know, that kind of runs into a whole nother conversation, a conversation that I'm very, you know, uh, embedded in, in terms of like the state of journalism. Right. But it's like, in general, it, it feels like maybe he's just a reliable mailman of the culture war. Like, and, and that's something that the world needs. <laughs> yeah, no, or at least I, it I, wants, it, it is demanding. Demand. There we go. That's, that is, and, and that's part of, I have a problem with that attitude. Um, because I think, I think we do a way too much, too, too much demanding. And it's like, it's not great for, for our collective psyche to be making demands all the time. Um, well, I think like he's, he's in demand in the way that the Beatles are in demand. Like, like he's, oh, he's in sure. demand in the way that, uh, uh, Fortnite is in demand. There's just like this void that people didn't know. And I'm sure for him, you know, he was just a guy who had a political opinion in Canada. And next thing you know, he just gets sucked up into this slipstream where, He's really kind of outlasted even a lot of the his contemporaries that kind of rose to power post Trump. You know, if you look at that class of of pundit, uh, you know, McGinnis is is sidelined, mm-hmm. Milo's sidelined. Like, and I'm not saying that and they're straight. all the same He's straight people. Now. <laughs> yeah, Milo's straight. Milo <laughs> Milo got so irrelevant he went straight. Uh, like so so he's kind of survived. Which is which is weird because he also had by far the most personal problems, the most, all, all, all the personal demons. Yeah, definitely. It, he he's undergone a lot. And, does, you know, does, when he, I, does he address any of that in the book or is it all just kind of an academic text? He does it really well. It it, it is very much like an academic text, by the way, but he addresses it in the beginning and he just does it briefly. I think he does it really well. He just says, hey, man, I'm not ignoring that this terrible sequence of events happened to me. But, you know, I've been working on this book for three years. And, you know, the you can you can superimpose whatever you want about my personal life. Um, but here's what I have. And I, I thought that was good. I thought that was a good way to do it. Like he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be lashing himself on the back the whole way through the book. And and he he does. He he never excludes himself. And, that, and that's what annoyed me with a lot of the reviews. They're just kind of they took this bullying stance of, oh, yeah, the guy who tells everybody to clean his room has a, you know, a dirty wall behind him. Yeah. Um, and that's that behavior kind of disgusted me. But, you know, we're always checking our biases. So, you know, what I, what I've done with Peterson from the beginning is like, okay, that group of people over there is really, really, really upset by this guy. So I'm not going to just ignore that they have these feelings like, and I'm not just going to, you know, peg it off as irrational uh, until I listen to everything they have to say. Um, and my conclusion basically is like, I think they're a little irrational. (laughs) (laughs) yeah but at the same time it's like they're there because peterson fights right definitely definitely 
Like if he just posted on his Twitter, I don't I don't know if he'd be the same thing, but he does take the interviews and, and he does fight back with the journalists and the book reviewers that give him bad reviews. Although he liked yours. Dude, I literally just an email just came in that says shitty Peterson review. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got one the other night that called me a uh metrosexual navel gazer. Which is the the funniest description for anything I've ever heard in my life. Uh, yeah, I mean, considering anybody who's who's seen you just knows that you have this this uh, a, a bear like uh, you know figure on you, and that you're certainly you're tall enough. I don't wear you're not looking tail. in anybody's uh, uh, navel, so I think yeah. I think you are. But I mean, I guess that's that's just code for you're not falling in line. Yeah, right? and, and to be fair, I've like most of the emails I've gotten have been like really, really great and, um, really a great affirmation for me because ultimately I, I don't really care about my success or whatever. I just want to be able to connect with people and in political media, that's very difficult. You know, I, yeah. I'm never going to make everybody happy, obviously, but I, I want to try and I want to try to, to like at least bring some love into the world. And you know, but I also enjoy a good challenge, you know? So like part of that is like, okay, how do I give this, um, this warmth to people in a situation that is like against the idea of warmth? Peterson's fans are fascinating. Like when I, when I got into, uh, you know, doing stuff, working on the podcast, uh, and I was like looking into his community it's it's a lonely community or at least a community that i think even would self identify as like recovered lonely people <laughs> and mm-hmm. i think that that often gets and i'm not saying that there's no truth to the idea that he is kind of the galvanizer of lost young men uh i think that there's certainly an element of that there but i i do think that it would be unfair to only peg it as it's the worst elements of that. Like there are just the kids who's sitting in there listening to emo music. And it's not just the person screaming the N word on a a, a voice server on some video game. Like, like there, there's probably a lot more of just the sad kids or even somebody that you would identify as just a totally normal, well-adjusted person that just goes home and is sad every night. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time with this question with regard to um, Peterson's fans, uh, because there, there is a there is a depiction of them that borders it can border on evil of portraying these like uh, incels, incels, Gamergate, that kind of thing. Exactly. A, a hostile part of our culture. And I really have not found very much of that when, you know, when I go to the events and just chat with people, they don't even know I'm a reporter, but I'm just chatting with people and, um, you know, online as well. Like I know there are some bad actors, but, um, I found them generally to be people who, who like kind of want to be left alone, um, kind of want to believe in themselves and believe in the world around them. And they want some friends and they, they just want to have a productive life and one that is guided by meaning. And I really like, as long as they're not doing anything, um, harmful, 
I really don't have a problem with that at all. I, I don't see there's like there's such a therapeutic element to um, I think like his core fans are there for his guidance as a counselor. And they they can't maybe align with some of his political belief beliefs, but like the really kind of uh, truculent part of the whole Peterson debate is strictly political. Yeah, like just just straight up culture war. This is what's ruining the world, and this is this is what isn't. Yeah, yeah, and it's I don't know. It's <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of why you and I have jobs. Trying to figure out. <laughs> I to guess yeah, you're right. On a on a on a larger sense, like our our actual job is we are detectives to find out what's ailing the planet. Yeah, that's. I'm really good with. I'm gonna put that on LinkedIn actually. <laughs> Vibe detectives. Yeah. Uh, all right, let let let's pivot off Peterson for a, a second before we get you out of here. Uh, Joe Biden coming up on his first 100 days. How would you uh, grade the old boy? Ooh, yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. Let me hear your opinion first. <laughs> Well, you're just going to take it. You're just going to repeat it. I know. You already, you already, I'm you like, already, oh, good podcast. I got a party to go to. You already told me that everybody clapped. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think he's, well, I, I'm curious to see over the next two weeks if a few things kind of pierce the force field. Because there are some things that I think are still on the outside that he's not going to be able to keep on the outside forever. Like the border thing kind of flared up and kind of died down. But I've said it on this podcast a bunch of times. We are one horrifying picture away from it, you know, totally flaring up again. Um, the vaccine thing. He's the COVID recovery guy, right? That's why America trusted him more to do that than Trump. We're starting to see the vaccine, uh, the vaccination daily rates level off, if not decline. We're still paused on the Johnson and Johnson thing. He really hasn't had to answer for any of it. Uh, I'm curious. I, I think that we're at a very interesting inflection point on whether or not anybody will be able to criticize him on those kinds of levels in ways that stick to him or if that's going to wind up affecting him. And and I really don't know because either would necessarily surprise me that either the, the press corps kind of goes into full see no evil mode or there is just like, Hey, you're the vaccine guy. Why aren't people getting vaccines? Or, Hey, you're supposed to be the no kids in cages guy. Why are there the most kids in kids in cages ever? So, do you think uh, the, the, the I'm just going to use the word generally as media, but like corporate media or, or whatever you want to call. Yeah. Um, do you think that there are soft? They have been softer on Biden um, because he's so much more tolerable than Trump. Or, or is it like um, an ideological connection they have or, or like conservatives right to say that. 
they're just throwing him softballs and, you know, tr- they went at went after Trump with the baseball bat. Well, he's um, he's playing the game in the way that everybody previously has played it. And that mm-hmm. can't be under under understood. Right. Like he's got a press shop that is operating the way that it normally did. And they are feeding the people that they normally feed. And that keeps everybody happy because it's what everybody knew. Uh, beyond that, I mean, look, there's bias in the media because most journalists are liberal. Like that's, if if we're going to understand on, on any kind of level, that's That's just a fact. They they come from liberal institutions. Like I came from them. You came from them. Like it's not the end of the, I I, I think it it tends to get overblown. Like it's, you know, a a top down programmed thing. (laughs) Um, and aside from a little like I scratch your back, you scratch yours kind of stuff that you, because you know, some of the other people that liberal colleges feed into, including government. Um, you know, I, I think that that's just a fact, you know, you just got to understand it and, and move on. There's a, there's a performative element to me, to it that kind of has gotten to me because I, like a lot of my, you know, I have friends who are like personally, they're like pretty conservative yeah, but they they write these articles that are like, um, I mean, cartoonishly uh, liberal or or like left even. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't know how to reconcile with that. Like I don't know. I guess partly because like I'm having that struggle in the open through my work. Yeah, like I guys, I don't know where I stand, but you know, maybe you can guide me somehow. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that that's a whole different thing because I can't imagine what it's like to draw a paycheck at a modern journalistic entity right now because there Ooh. is a lot of everybody has to do the part man and you better know the steps <laughs> because if you don't then everyone's going to notice and it's it's not a good time unless you start a Substack and then you make money but then again uh, uh, welcome to the club, everybody. Independent media. It's a hell of a thing. Uh, all right, Kevin, I'm going to get you out of here, but I'm going to ask you the question because you're the co-creator that people keep asking me, when's the next feature story coming out? Oh man, my fingers are crossed and, uh, hopefully June. Is that what we're thinking? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think, I think, yeah, we, we need, we need, we need some raw material, but, uh, uh yeah. believe you me, we are very excited and me moving didn't help, uh, the timeline and everything, but hopefully fingers crossed, we should have something out in the next few months. And it's going to be incredible. Well, like we, we have a lot of, we just need the raw material. We have all the specifics sorted I, I out. Think, I think it'll be safe to say that we probably were a little over optimistic on how easy it was to secure reproduction rights for (laughs) previously published magazine features. Uh, But uh, we will, we we will definitely have uh, something out very soon. All right, Kevin, thank you so much. Of course, everybody can read your stuff at the blaze, including the new review of beyond order, 12 more rules for life by Jordan Peterson. Uh, Kevin, as always, thank you so much, man. Good to be here, man. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics is written and recorded and produced by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. 
a reminder that you can uh, say thanks to Kevin for coming on. Uh, you don't have to remember his, his, his Twitter account. Just head on over to px3guest.com. If you want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can tweet us at px3tweets. You can find us live on Twitch where we are Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at px3live.com. You can get our newsletter, px3newsletter.com. Share this podcast with your friends and family at px3podcast.com. And of course, get those COVID shots equals body shots t-shirts at politicsmerch.com. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. You can hit me up on the cash app, px3cash, or you can be one of our Venmo Buccaneers. Send me a dollar on Venmo. Send me a buck. Uh, Venmo uh, money doesn't, doesn't count. It doesn't count. You can be like Chuck or Jason or Robert. You know, they were nice guys. They sent me a buck. Actually, I think uh, two of them sent me $3. One of them sent me 20 Unnecessary. I mean, it's unnecessary to send me any money, but considering Venmo money isn't real, uh, uh, you know, it, it's nice. It's nice. Justin-Young-20, again, is the Venmo. You can also sell, uh, send gifts or physical checks to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, zip code 78715. Again, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, seven eight seven. One five, but of course, the way that you get bonus content on this show, the way that you get the bonus podcast on Monday, the bonus podcast on Thursday, and now's the time to do it. Go to takepoliticsseriously.com, sign up at the three dollar level, get your custom RSS feed, enter that into the podcatcher of your choice. Never worry about a username, never worry about a password. If you want to hear your name at the end of this show, you sign up at the ten dollar tier, wherein I read your name like these guys. Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley Steven, Kathy Mack, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Jen, Middle-Aged Mike, Cujo.com, Junkie, Calamity Zap, D, Laser, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Lord Scale, De Quince, and Neely Third, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Appraisers are awesome, Snuffies, off Route 44. Chad. Miranda, Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners. Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela. DL, Richard, just another pilot. Frozen Summers, J Pink, and Andrew. One more time, you want to get your name read at the end of the show, you do so at takepoliticsseriously.com. Use the, uh... oh no, sign up at the $10 tier. I was going to give an offer code. I don't even have an offer code for anything. I don't know why I just defaulted to trying to use an offer code. A great show coming up on Friday. We're going to talk space. 
We have the confirmation hearing for uh, former Senator Bill Nelson as head of NASA. We're going to get into the big intersection of space and politics on Friday. Excited to do that with you guys. Until then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.